2 Corinthians chapter 10, while you're going there, I'm going to talk to you about getting a grip on your thoughts this morning. You think that's not a biblical or a spiritual subject, but what you think is a very important thing. How you think and what you allow to think, allow yourself to think, is very important to get a grip on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Let me ask you two questions. Let me ask you a question right off the bat. You're sitting there. Let me just ask you. Do you ever wonder why your mind doesn't think right thoughts? You ever wonder why stuff goes through your head that you don't want to go through there? And nothing you do seems to help, okay? Well, it's because it has to be changed by something that is more powerful than your thoughts. It, it, uh, uh, there, are, there are so many powers in this world, fear, money, and all these things. They, they, they work us and they... they Form us and fashion us according to the world. Well, there's got to be a power that can change and transform our minds. So that's what we want to focus on this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5. Second Corinthians 10. Hopefully it is a familiar scripture to you. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. It says that for the weapons of our warfare, and we are in a war, they are not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not of this world, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of, say the next two words really real loud, strongholds. Say it with me, strongholds. You can pull down strongholds, <clears throat> like pulling down a castle, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it to captivity every, what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. So when we look at this thing, God gave us weapons and tools that are powerful for our mind. They enable the Christian to cast down out of control thoughts that are going on in our head and bring every, every thought even to obedience. I mean, am I, if my hand likes to steal things, I need to bring that hand under the dominion of the law and say, that's not right, I cannot steal. If my lips are out of control and says things that are cruel, I need to bring it under submission to the right ways that God says to speak. And if my thoughts are out of control, I need to bring them under his authority as well. Now, what are imaginations? <clears throat> when it talks about casting down imaginations, imaginations are things we dream of. There are dreams inside of our head. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Sometimes uh, they are memories, the things that we bring up and we just review, or sometimes they may be desires we wish for. Sometimes we come up with our own imaginations, which is not a bad thing, but sometimes we think thoughts that are not our own, and that is scary. So when the Bible talks about casting down imaginations, it's using a phrase that was used throughout the Old Testament when there would be idols set up in amongst God's people and then they would get right with God and they would go and they would break those idols down and they would turn them into dust and they would replace them <clears throat> with, with um, uh, the worship of God. <clears throat> and a Christian has to learn how to throw some imaginations down from their perch that, oh, that, that we've set up higher than God. We've set them up higher than what we know is right. Uh, it means to demolish and to disassemble the strongholds so they no longer have dominion over you. Now, I ask you this. Who is supposed to be in charge of what you're thinking practically? All right. I know spiritually the Lord is supposed to be in charge of my thinking. But who's in charge of what goes on inside of your head? You are. 
You're in charge. Let me show you. Go to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. And as Ruffney has said over and over, I'm amazed that you still got your voice. <laughs> and I am too. Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 28. Jesus is speaking. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already where? In his heart. Now, a woman shouldn't be advertising. There are, there are innocent women and then there are Women who are at advertising attention. But even if, it doesn't matter whether somebody is out and out ungodly in their, their dress or whatever, a man especially is responsible for what they think about and lust about in their heart. That's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say she's to blame. The Bible doesn't say he's the only one to blame. They both have some blame. But what's going on inside of our heart, we're responsible for, aren't we? Jesus explains that both of them had committed adultery, even though they didn't do it in a bed. So what is, who's in charge of what goes on inside of my head is me. So I kind of, this is a Texan friend of mine. No, <clears throat> anyway, as Christians, we need to take control of our thoughts in Jesus' name. I mean, that name can make nations rise and fall. That name can conquer any demon or any past that you may be struggling with. Why? So we can fill our hearts and mind with right things. Your mind is not to be filled with the, with the sewage of this world. It is supposed to be filled with good things, right things. Don't you want to have a sound mind? Don't you want to have a mind that actually can rest at night, can relax and not, not always look over your shoulder and not fear not only the judgment of God, but fear the judgment of, of others who find out about your duplicity and your hypocrisy? The Bible says we need to take back control. Now, the world, let me just say this, the world's religions always say, empty your mind, don't they? Empty your mind. And the Bible says, fill it. Fill it, because the more you fill it with the Word of God, the less room there is for the sewage of this world. All right. So, <clears throat> five things I want you to focus on uh, in, 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 in this morning's message. Number one, you need to recognize wrong thinking going on in you. <clears throat> this is probably the most unpleasant chore these days but uh the truth is it's easy to believe what we already feel uh, a guy named francis bacon he was a scientist or whatever he said man prefers to believe what he prefers to be true that's a very deep thought we prefer to believe what we already want to believe is true we don't really look at the evidence we just well i feel like this and that feels right first samuel chapter 27 1 Samuel chapter 27, David <clears throat> is being hunted by King Saul. He's supposed to be king, but he's having to wait on God. And by the way, anytime you're trying to do the will of God, you'll do a lot of waiting. <laughs> you'll do a lot of just trying to do right and stay right while you're waiting for God to move you to the next stage. But 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, David is running from Saul and he keeps, he keeps going over and over over his mind, uh, worrying. Watch what he says. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day. What does he think? I'm going to die soon. Saul's going to win. Saul's after me, and he's going to kill me. Um, <clears throat> at, by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me 
than that I should speedily escape into the hand of where? Where does he want to run to? The very group that he had defeated their champion, Goliath, one of the most ungodly neighbor nations to Israel, David said, I'll go to them. Is that backslidden or what? Look, he said, uh, it is, there is nothing better, and I don't ever say that. When you say there's nothing better for me than to just go back to my old buddies and go back to the uh, pub and to just go back to the old way of life because that's where it was safe. Are you sure? Watch what he says. <clears throat> uh, Escape into the hand of the Philistines and Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. Has he prayed? Is he doing the will of God or is he running from the will of God? He's letting his feelings determine what he should do. <clears throat> Um, we often take our own thoughts, our own emotional sensations, our impulses and our feelings and our desires, and we assume them to be true. <laughs> Why is that? It's because people generally follow their experiences. They follow their peer group, they follow their heart, and they end up believing only what they feel, not what is really true. If somebody, and I'm going to be quite playing with you, if somebody feels that they're being watched, guess what? To them, that's the reality. It's called paranoia. But, I mean, honestly, if, if, if you start to feel that, there's no way to tell them you're okay. They're not bothering with you. If somebody feels worthless, then no amount of encouragement will change the reality. If somebody feels oppressed, oh, they are oppressed. There's, they're, they're, their life is ruined. If somebody feels fine living in sin, then no amount of gospel preaching will move them to do something about their sin. Do you see what I'm saying? People go by their feelings, not by any reality or truth. Today, feelings are how we decide things now. That's why when you go to buy a toy, the packaging has to give you a warm feeling. <laughs> when you go to buy a meal, it has to look so spectacular. You've got to make somebody feel that this is the best meal ever. That's, I mean, I, we, Nita and I have been to restaurants and they bring up this huge plate and you have this tiny little piece of meat. <laughs> And you have a little bit of edge and a little squirt of, of, of gravy along the edge. But, oh, does it look fancy? And you go, whoa, this is going to be great. you got one-tenth of what you want, amen. But it makes you feel good. All right. We live by feelings. And it's called self-image. We live by how we feel that we are. But the truth is, you are not what you think. You are. Now, the world has so emphasized on programming what people should think especially about themselves let me say it again you are not what you think you are what God says you are does that make sense you are what God says you are he knows what you are he knows who you are he knows you inside and out he designed you he made you for a purpose and he has written everything in one book that exposes us as we really are if we would allow its truth to overrule our feelings we finally become free from the bondage of our feelings and we become free of the devil's lies. Only fools reject God and instead follow their feelings. Go to Psalm 14. Psalm 14 and verse 1. I want you to notice something that's in this verse. Psalm 14 and verse 1. Only a fool rejects God's and follows their feelings. Rejects God, follows their feeling. Verse 1 says, The fool hath said in his mind, is that what it says? 
No, where has he decided there? What has caused him to decide there's no God? His heart has. And he says in his heart, there's no God. He's made that decision based on his heart. And that decision results in a wasted, ungodly life. Look at the rest of it. It says <clears throat> they end up being what? Corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. Why? Because they're following their heart. So there are consequences for following our feelings. Uh, definitely, would you say Hitler um, thought about the Jews was, th was sinful? Do you believe that what he thought about the Jews was sinful? What he thought about the Jews, he ended up creating gas chambers and, and camps and slaughtered millions of them. <clears throat> we know what evil men in their past thought was sinful. We knew they were sinful and their thoughts were sinful. Did you, I don't know if you realize it, but if, if any of your friends are avid evolutionists, remind them of this great truth, and that is that Darwin was the worst racist of all. Darwin stood up there and spoke and taught and, de and determined. He said, the whites are superior race to the Negroes. And so, and he says, that is an evolutionary fact. That man was wicked in his thinking. And the proof of it is they took, they would go and they would capture Aborigine in, in, um, <clears throat> in Australia, bring these men who were only three and a half feet tall, and they would bring them and put them in cages in Chicago zoos and treat them like animals. And these men spoke three and four languages. They could read and write, but they treated them like animals. That was Darwin. So what you think can result in great consequences, amen? <clears throat> and a lot of what Christians think about each other, about themselves, and about God is downright sinful. There are, some, there are serious consequences to what we're thinking. Yet modern modern Christians, this is where we're at. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm saved, so I must be okay. And, and we're not. We don't believe that what we could be thinking and believing is also sinful and destructive to our life. Go to Jeremiah. You're in Psalms. Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 19. Jeremiah 6, 19. God is pretty well exposed in a great truth here. Jeremiah 6, 19, hear, O earth, hear everybody. Behold, I will bring evil, that's judgment, upon this people. I will even bring the fruit of their, what's the next word? Not just their actions, but I will bring the result of their thoughts on them because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but have rejected them. If I think what I think is okay, when God says it is not okay, then say goodbye to being heard by God when praying. Look at your Bible. Go back to Psalm uh, 66 and verse 18. Psalm 66 and verse 18. <clears throat> Psalm 66, 18. Now, to regard means to hold close to your heart, to treasure, to protect. And it says, verse 18, if I regard iniquity, if I hold on to iniquity in my heart, then the Lord will not hear me. So what I, what I think about in my heart, what I hold on to, what I believe to be true, if it's iniquity, it causes God to go, I'm not listening. God knows our thoughts. 
and there are consequences to them. So let's start to compare our thinking with God's way of thinking. The Bible talks about having the mind of Christ. Now, I definitely want to have the heart of Christ. I want to have compassion. I want to be able to see people beyond what they do and how they live. I want to see them as souls. I want to have the heart of Christ. But I need to have the mind of Christ just as much. I need to compare my thinking with God's way of thinking. Because one way of thinking, my way, is feelings-based. I'm a feeling person, all right? That's normal. But the other way is absolutely true. How do you compare our thinking with God's way of thinking? Well, if you ever pulled out, you know, if you ever worked for the bank and they, they, they teach you about counterfeit money, I mean, there are all kinds of things they do now with money uh, to make sure it's the real deal. But in the old days, what they did was they gave you a real um, uh, paper money there, worthless, but anyway, and, and they got you to feel it, smell it, try to tear it, write on it, did all kinds of things to find out what it was like so that when you picked up another one, at first touch you could go, that's not real. So as you learn what's really right to believe, then when something else comes into your head, you go, wait a minute, that doesn't belong. That doesn't belong. Now, we, had a treasure, we have a treasure box over there we had with the kids, and it's filled with coins, right, real coins and things, but we put some chocolate coins in there too. And so the kids opened it up, and they could tell instantly which one's the real coins and which one's the chocolate coins, okay? Because kids are smart. But are we not so smart that we can look in our mind and go, that's not true, and that's not true. That doesn't belong in there. Examine our thoughts. Anything that contradicts what God has already said is wrong. Anything that goes through my, my mind that contradicts what God has already said is wrong. Like, I hate myself. If you ever get it going through your mind, I hate myself. That is a normal feeling sometimes. But any thought that goes against what God has already said, like Psalm 139, you don't have to go there. We learned it in, in, in Bible Club. We learned, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You cannot hate what God thinks is awesome. So how about, I wish I had never been born. Well, what does God say? You were not born as an accident. I had a, uh, we had a neighbor who, this couple, they were not the nicest people to have as neighbors, and they had one son, and growing up, do you know what they constantly told him? You were an accident. <laughs> and they laughed when they said it. Can you imagine growing up like that? Can you, if, you, if you come up with that going through your head, you're going to have to get a greater truth to overwhelm that. Do you understand what I'm saying? How about, I shouldn't have married so-and-so. Well, what does God say? What God had brought together, let no man put us under, not even you. You know, I try to stop people from getting married sometimes. <laughs> not because I don't think they ought to get married, but if, if I can stop them, then the devil will. So I'll try to put it in there, but as soon as they're married, guess what? I'm helping them for the rest of their lives. Stay together, amen? You understand what I'm saying? And that is the biblical way. What about somebody who says, this is the Irish phrase, you go, my life is so unlucky. What does God say? God says, do you even know how blessed you are? Say, I'm so unlucky. No, 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 you're so blessed. You may not have all the things that everybody else has, but if you're saved, if you're born again, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've got a home in heaven, if you've got eternal life, you're a blessed person. You understand what I'm saying? Do not, these are just simple things that go through our head. What about, I sure don't want God to call me into the gospel ministry. <laughs> I've actually had people say, I'll do anything except preach. 
I'll do anything except be a pastor. I'll do anything except be a missionary. That's kind of foolish because I was thinking about it this morning. I was going, think of the responsibility and the, the awesomeness of being chosen to be a king or, or you know, a t-shirt or whatever. And, and how powerful you can make, be a person for change. We say, boy, I hope they do right. Sort of. But what if God says, I want you to be the agent of change? Would you really run from that? What does God say? Now, this leads to another point. The Holy Spirit, you, let me give you an example of what goes through in our mind. Go to Matthew chapter 5. The Holy Spirit does not stir up in you evil thoughts about anybody. He does the exact opposite. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Matthew 5 and verse 43. You've heard that it had been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That was a common saying back then because the Jews do hate a lot of people, believe me. <laughs> and so they kind of justified themselves as we've got to love our friends and hate our enemies. But look what he says. <clears throat> but I say unto you, love your enemies. Whoa. Bless them that curse you. Whoa. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you so that ye may be the children of your father. You'll be like him which is in heaven for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. What is Jesus saying? God gives you right thoughts and merciful thoughts even about your enemies for you to think. He does not give you thoughts that say, I wonder if I could poison him. I'm sure I could put a rake in his back garden out his back door pointing upward <laughs> for him to stand on a pow. He does not give you those thoughts. So you got to go, what is the Holy Spirit? What would he be putting in my head? This thought about my neighbor, this person who's causing me to suffer, this person who's hurting me. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you the thoughts that are evil. Now, the written words of God, when you learn them and you understand them, when you do, don't expect me to do all of the the, the work for you. How many of you know what a, what a baby bird eats? What does a baby bird eat? What mama has already digested. So mama and daddy are going out there, finding the worms, finding the seeds, chewing them up, swallowing them down. And then they come back and here's baby bird. And baby bird gets vomit. Baby bird gets what mama has already processed and made almost digested, ready for them. Now that was how God designed them. But don't expect me to be your mama. You understand what I'm saying? Don't expect me to do all the digestion for you. This is stuff where you've got to get this book in your head so that you can start to see wrong thinking in you. Uh, Romans chapter one, <clears throat> Romans one. Romans chapter one. And verse 21. Romans 1, 21. Because that when they knew God, talking about the general population of the world, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. So they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. You know, um, the written words of God, they, when, you, when you know about God and you reject it, the Bible says, it's proved by the fact you're not thankful. 
and then you're, you, you become vain in your imagination, which means self, only self-focused. And, you, and your foolish heart is darkened. And when you let the Word of God cut you and expose you for who you really are, it's the best thing ever. Hebrews 4. Go there real quick. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword be like a, a surgeon's scalpel, piercing, cutting, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, like opening up a human body, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It exposes what's going on inside. So don't be so proud that you ignore and reject the Word of God when it hurts you, when pastor's preaching something right at you. Believe me, I'm not doing it on purpose. Let it cut and expose out in the open what is wrong in your thinking. And then compare, let's see, then compare what you're thinking about with what Jesus said. Are you constantly angry or are you constantly grateful? Which one was Jesus? Are you generally judging people's flaws and their faults or are you fearful of God judging you for your flaws and your faults? Are you discontent with what God has given you or are you satisfied? Are you constantly arguing and rebelling against where God has put you right now? Or are you yielded to his will as perfect and right? What a challenge. That's the challenge for the Christian, but that is the thought life of the Bible believer. Here's a great truth. Here's an important truth. Most people know when their thoughts are messed up. Most of us know it. But they don't think they can do anything about it. The truth is you can't think right without the work of the word of God working in you. That book, turned loose in you, fixes you. We've said that from the start of this thing. So recognize wrong thinking is where you become aware of, there's wrong thinking inside of me. Good, start step one. Step two, reject whatever's there. Uh, you ever seen these people on, a, on an assembly line? The assembly line, say if you worked in a farm and you're collecting all the eggs. Uh, how, do you, how come we get so many good eggs when we open up the carton and we crack them open? And they're not, they're not putrid or out of date. How come? Because there are people, and now maybe now there are automated robots who do it. I don't know. But they run those eggs alongside, and those people are looking for rejects. And they pull them out, and they go, that one's not right. I don't know how they all do it, but they're looking for faults so that whatever comes out at the end goes in the box, and you open it up, and you're safe. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we've got to be able to start looking at what we're thinking. You say, how do I know what I'm thinking? What you're saying. <laughs> That's what you're thinking, what you're doing, because what you think is where all of your actions begin. And so start to recognize and then reject the things that are wrong. Look at your Bible. Go to Psalm 119, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 113. Psalm 119, verse 113. I hate, what kind of thoughts? Vain thoughts. But thy law, God's thoughts, do I love. <clears throat> Probably half our thoughts are pretty stupid, all right? <laughs> you wouldn't want to write down everything you're thinking because it'd be wasted time. Vain thoughts are self-centered, emptied thoughts on yourself. 
probably half of our thoughts are only just about ourselves. They are thoughts that should never pass through our head. Thoughts that are only about you, that focus on you first and your needs first, that only make you feel better at the expense of everyone around you. You know, there's, there, I come from a culture in America that, that, that make fun of everybody. We just do. I, we didn't know we were really loved until somebody made fun of us. Then we go, oh, I'm so loved. <laughs> It's how we grew up, all right? It's not right, but that's how, so that was our culture, all right? And there are people who they get their self-worth out of making everybody else made fun of. Does that make sense? You ever been around somebody like that? Vain thoughts make you feel better at the expense of everyone that's around you. They are thoughts that go against the words of Christ. There are people who live in a fantasy land they live, they think that life is like movies. I'll never forget, I was probably about, I don't know how old I was, 10, 11 years old. I watched, there was a film called E.T. Uh, sorry, uh, no, I had, E.T. was not very impressive to me, but Close Encounters of a Third Kind. I watched that thing. I came out of the cinema with my mom, took me to the cinema, all right? We came out there and I went, come and get me. <laughs> I believe they were out there from that stupid movie. It was so impressive on a young mind and a young heart. And the truth is that when, when we have, a, when we live in a fantasy land, that's what social media is, these selfies, they take pictures of themselves and there, is, there are apps that change them. They remove wrinkles. How many have that app? <laughs> they have ones they put bunny ears on, they put, you know, bushy eyebrows and all that stuff. And they say, oh, that's me, that's me today. That is fantasy. That is a vain thought. Now, it probably was created just for fun, but it has become where that's how people see themselves. They want people to see them as they want to be seen, not as they really are. Does that, does that ring a bell? Vain thoughts that are out of control will turn to depression. How many of those people who are movers and shakers and influencers on Instagram, when they don't get all the likes, they go depressed? It leads to depression, to bitterness, and ultimately to sinful actions and attitudes toward everyone else and including God. So wrong thinking, wrong thinking, not just wrong actions, but they will destroy your marriage. They will destroy your relationship and even your church. When you think that you're fine and, and somebody, your wife is trying to tell you, we are not fine, then you need to stop and go explain, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? So it is time for us to start to reject thoughts that put ourselves first. That's why Jesus said, put yourself last. Instead of, uh, put, don't put yourself first. Instead, put your wife, your kids, the will of God, and your neighbor first. And when you think of others, God says, now I'll watch out for you. Reject vain thoughts. Third thought, repent. That's a good old word. Isaiah 55, to the right, Isaiah 55, in verse 7. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, verse 7. I want you to watch the word forsake. That's the word repent there. That's where you turn, you go the other direction, you abandon something. What does it say? Let the wicked forsake his way of life. Somebody says, this is my way of life. Why don't you respect my way of life? God doesn't. Be careful. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let's repent of his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And return unto our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
Your thoughts came from your heart, so take responsibility for them. Mark 7, we've read it these past few weeks, for, with, from, for from within, out of the hearts of men proceed evil thoughts. It used to be normal, have you not noticed, it used to be normal when some of us were growing up that parents took responsibility for the actions of their children. If my parents ever found out I was acting up at school, my teachers were never blamed. You know who was, who was blamed? Me. I know there are some rogue teachers and they have to be found out. I understand all that. Everybody thinks of the worst example. But my parents were responsible for how I acted at school. And so they took it seriously when the teacher says, led better. I actually, I remember a couple of times my parents had to come get me. Anyway, we won't go there. And it is, it is my parents took responsibility, whereas today parents flame out the teacher. They blame the school system. They blame uh, the neighborhood. They blame everything else except them. The truth is, we need to take responsibility for what goes on inside of our heads and say, I'm sorry. We ought to be quick to repent. That means constantly repent of lust. Something goes through your head. Sorry, Lord, I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry that came up. God, you saw that. Nobody else saw it, but you saw it. You get a, you get a bitter spirit. You, um, you're in Cork, and you're walking down the street, and you see Pastor Ledbetter. And go, <laughs> you need to repent. Amen. I mean, honestly, what do we think? And what goes through our heads? We go, man, he's my brother. He's, he's a Christian. I'm going to have to live with him forever in heaven. Be quick to constantly repent of lust and desires and messed up thinking that fill our head. Because if we change our wrong thinking, we'll begin to change our wrong actions. That's where it begins. Number four, return. Keep going there in Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let's read that verse again. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return. God's not so upset that he says, stay away. I don't want to see you anymore. No, return unto the Lord. He'll have mercy. You know, God just says, get right with God about your thoughts and then come home. Do you think, do you think the prodigal son could have just come back and says, Dad, I need some more money. <laughs> do you think Dad would give him any more money? Come on, think about it. Here comes the prodigal son. He's run out of money in a faraway country. He says, you know what? There's money to spare back home. I'm going to go get some more money. Do you think his dad would have given him more money? No. You see, what made the difference where the prodigal son came home is it went through his head I'm a fool. I'm a right Egypt. I have spent every penny. I have nothing to show for my life. I've wasted my life. My thoughts were vain. But back home, there's food to spare. And I don't want anything else except to be home with dad. And I don't care if I'm a slave or a servant or a caretaker. Just if you'll take me back, God, if you'll take me back, I'll go home. And he goes home and his thoughts are right. And his dad is greeting him and says, bring, put a ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf, put a royal robe on him. He's my son. And he was welcomed because his thoughts were changed, weren't they? So he was able to return because of right thinking. Folks, it's an open invitation. There is the reason why we have church. I'm trying to feed you the, the, the truth. I'm trying to feed God's sheep. That's true. But I'm also trying to wake up a generation that you're not so far away from God that you can't get saved. I'm trying to wake up Christians who are so backslid, they don't care what they watch on television. They don't care what they've got on their phone. They're so numb and so dead to righteousness and to godliness. And I'm trying to tell you, you can come home. 
You can get this mind fixed by getting that book in there. It's not hard to come back to God. Don't you ever return? Don't you ever yearn to return? Can you imagine? Can you imagine husband and wife divorcing and they just had no problem with that? I'm just through with you. Bye. And never having your regrets. And I wish I could be back. Can you imagine that? And yet Christians walk away from church and the Bible and soul winning and, 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 and serving. We had such a great week. You know why it went so great? The kids were wonderful. But you know what was better? The servant attitude that was here. The spirit of everybody was pulling together so that these kids could get the gospel. And, and don't you ever yearn for that joy? Don't you ever wish that? I, I remember it was like years ago when we had, and it was one day we had 108 kids. I, I miss that. Don't you ever yearn for that, that way of life that just is right with God? Or at least, at least, don't you yearn to maintain that right relationship? Don't you worry, say, I want to keep it like this. I want to stay this way forever. He's not far away from anyone. Last point. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where we started this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, raise. That means to cast down wrong thoughts before they become actions. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4 and 5 says this. For the weapons of our warfare. Again, we're, this, is a, this is a wrestling match. It's a war. They are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of every stronghold in us. Casting down imaginations and every high thing exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, to the obedience of Christ. This is the most important part. What does casting down mean? I gave you a little bit of a thing, but casting down means to tear something down, to demolish it, to level to the ground. That's why the word, it's an older word. It means, and you still, I, I'm sitting there reading the newspaper and it says a building was raised today, spelled with a Z. We think of raising a building, you know, building it up. But it says a building was raised today. They blew some charges along it and leveled it there. Raised. You hear the word razor in that thing? So when, 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 a, when you want to build a new house and there's this old house that's falling apart, what do you do with the old house? You don't put a new house on top of the old house. Doesn't work. You got to raise it. You got to cut it down to the ground, to the level. That's where the word raise comes from. To demolish it. Here's the truth. Wrong thoughts. Thoughts that keep you in bondage. I know people who have the same nightmares over and over and over again. That's bondage, folks. Lies in our minds need to be knocked over and destroyed, pulled down, thrown down, demolished. There are so many strongholds in people's minds and hearts. I mean, to sit down and to talk, there are hundreds and hundreds of things that people are in bondage to, like fear. And this world has done its best to keep people in fear. There is something, there's a time when, um, uh, there's a time when people need to be concerned and we need to act. But this thing is constant fear. It's, not, it's like they cannot let go and say, let's look some hope. Let's have some, let's have some joy. Let's, let's live. Let's trust. It's just fear everywhere. How about false beliefs? False beliefs need to be torn down. That's why I preach the Bible. Because there are a lot of false doctrines out there. There are people out there who say you can win, your, you can get saved and lose it, and get saved again and lose it again. It's wrong, folks. 
there are a lot of people who just, they believe what they believe because that's how they were born into it. They never studied it, never looked at it, never checked it for themselves. There was not one priest I've ever talked to here in Ireland ever read the Bible, even the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation. Not one of them have ever read the Bible themselves. And yet they became priests and they were teaching people, quote, religion. They never searched anything out themselves. How about finances? Is that a bondage or the lack of them? <laughs> How about faults, sins that we used to tolerate, they now control us. How about friends and family? They have a grip on our thinking. They stop us from obeying God. Falsehoods, lies about ourselves, unforgiveness and bitterness, pride, past hurts, occult activities. I could go on for an hour listing things that become a stronghold. It starts with a wound. Can I be real? I'm going to finish up as fast as I can. It starts with a wound of being hurt by somebody that you looked up to. Maybe it was a religious leader. Maybe it was uh, an uncle. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a brother. If somebody hurt you, somebody let you down, and it's on the foundation of that hurt that our enemy, the devil, begins brick by brick to build a wall of, of, of wrong thinking. Start to make you think that you were at fault. Making you think that you are the problem. They start to, people start focusing on really hard to understand scriptures and making them the cornerstone of their doctrine. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. You don't build a doctrine on that, not even knowing what the context of it is. Distorted perceptions about God. You know, there's a, there's, there's a guy there 150 years ago named Joseph Smith that said God lives on a planet called Krypton. No. <laughs> um, and uh, he created this world to, uh, to populate with his children and all this stuff. It's, listen, the errors are just out of control. That's when the devil moves in and starts taking control. And when we buy into these lies and agree with our enemy, we're giving him control. That area of our lives becomes a fortress or a stronghold, and he will vigorously fight to keep that control over your life. That's why people who are in a cult are very hard to get out of a cult, aren't they? The people who are afraid are very hard to get encouraged so they're no longer afraid. It is a stronghold in them. And the truth is each fortress must be rejected lie by lie, brick by brick. It's going to have to be disassembled and replaced with the truth, something much more powerful, something much better. So this Bible is, will be like a razor that'll cut down all the lies and put everything back down to the zero and start over. That's why Jesus said, you must be born all over again. And that's why Nicodemus says, wait a minute, start back over in my mother's womb. And he says, no, in your heart. We got to start over. You are so uh, knowledgeable. You know everything about the Bible, but you know nothing. We got to start completely over. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You got to start over and this time look for the lamb and find salvation. Wrestling, and this is a great, I'm finishing up. Wrestling, your old habitual thoughts in your head is time well spent. Do you just let your children, your grandchildren right out, run right out the front door? During the Bible club, we had bouncers. Not really bouncers, but they were bouncers. Any kid ran out that door, they would bounce right back. <laughs> we had some people guarding outside if any kids started, and we had some kids run like the dickens, man. <laughs> but uh, when they run out, grab them brought them back in. Wrestling with those kids are worth it, aren't they? Amen? Because their lives are at stake. 
it's, it's time well spent protecting them so as you can train them to stay alive, amen. So take every thought, learn to take every thought captive. You say, it's so much work. Of course it's work. But that's our job. I like this. Put each thought in a headlock. <laughs> you're not, you're not, make, I'm not believing you anymore. You're not running my life anymore. Don't let any old thought become words that come out of your mouth. Too many people speak before they've thought. Would you agree? <laughs> Don't complain. There's too much effort. Keeping your family, holding on to your sanity, having joy and fellowship with God is worth every bit of struggle. And next week, I'll talk to you about replacing with memorization and meditation. So let me ask you some things. What could help your mind think right thoughts? Anybody know? The Bible. Guess what the name of our church is? Bible Baptist Church. That book's the answer for everything we need. So allowing the Word of God to work in the midst of all the thoughts going on inside your head is like setting off a bomb. <laughs> and it'll level everything and it'll put things back. Is not my word like a hammer, Jeremiah says. A hammer does two things. It breaks things and it puts things in their place. Let the Word of God work like it should. So only the Bible will help you recognize wrong thinking in you. You won't know what's wrong without the Bible. And it'll help you reject vain thoughts in your head. That book will help you reject it. It'll help you repent. You'll see how Christ acted and you'll say, I want to be like him. And you'll be able to return. I mean, as far as your brain takes you away from God, you can go right back and get right with God. Just you can be constantly saying sorry all day, maybe for a while, but that's okay. And then start tearing down those thoughts. I'm not going to let that thought be in my head anymore. Not at all. I wish, I wish a, a new generation would come up that was not so offended, was not so upset, was not imagining everything wrong. I think, again, as I said yesterday, marriages fall apart mainly because of misunderstandings, because of imaginations. Yes, because of sins and wrongdoing, but people take things so far. Let's take a step back. Let's wipe everything back down and build up. Nope, nope. God's in charge. Not my husband, not my wife, not my boss, not my bank. God's in charge. I will believe that and I will live like that. And then you'll be able to easily replace all that wrong thinking as we'll talk next week. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that in the midst of all the stuff that goes on inside of our head, you've got something better for us to think. We are not what we think we are. We are what you say we are. And you first pointed out that we were lost. We were without hope, without God. We were without righteousness. We were without ability to do anything that could save us. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could say, nothing we could be. Better than what we were, we were sinners. But Christ died for sinners. And right now, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and remind us. <laughs> That's where we began, and that was a good place to start because it all focuses on you, not on us. Lord, I pray that our thoughts are, are something we'd be wanting to change. We'd be a different people. We would be a different nation. We'd be a different church if our thoughts were no longer ours, but would be yours. Lord, you said your thoughts are not our thoughts. Well, I want to have your thoughts, Lord. I want to have the mind of Christ. So teach us, help us to put, on, yeah, put in the effort to wrestle with this book. You said that you have not given us a spirit of fear, 
but you've given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. It came as a package. Lord, help us to let that sound mind take root in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.